bum bum bottom 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 bum b
because that was that is the length by which I measure all things. Well, I mean, it, it, San Diego Comic Con is our favorite Comic Con. It's something that we've been doing for eleven years now, uh, maybe even longer than that. It's hard to keep track of the dates given the, the whole pandemic situation. But you go to New York Comic Con, it you hear that it is on the same level as San Diego. And I think crowd-wise, that's almost true. Again, it's hard to decide. Like, if you go by density. It, it will, I mean, but, like, I, I think, you know, we're at a period with New York Comic Con and with San Diego Comic Con where it's in a state of recovery, mm -hmm. where people are returning to the shows. So to, like, do a one-on-one -on -one comparison to with what San Diego was pre-pandemic is probably foolish. But it does feel like, yes, it's very dense, the way that San Diego is. Um, it's not as media focused, like generally pop culture media focused as San Diego. There are TV shows, there are movies, there are video games, there is tabletop, but it doesn't seem as um, expansive as San Diego. It does feel like it is much more of a comic convention, which is a big bonus. Mm, well, especially because the spaces, the physical spaces at New York Comic Con are much more delineated. Yeah. So, like, I don't think I even saw the tabletop room until yes. Sunday. I was yes. like, whoa, there's a whole nother room here. Yes. So there were, like, uh, a few tracks at... Uh, New York Comic Con, there was the comic book track where you could just do comic book things. Then there was the movie TV track. There was also a cosplay, separate cosplay stage. Yep. There was a queer pride stage. And then there was also an anime stage. So I think that depending on who you are and how you want to curate your experience, you can have four very different cons. And there's three levels. Well, there's actually, there's like five levels to the Javits Center, mm -hmm. but there's like three that you focus on. And, you know, there's like the mall area where all the food court is and where all the cosplayers get their photos taken. There's the show floor, which is one above. And then below, there are the three big rooms the tabletop room, the artist alley, and the autograph room. And if you wandered into any of those rooms, you could spend an entire day in those massive halls. There are two things where New York Comic Con far outclasses San Diego yeah. Comic Con. And that is the food at New York Comic Con is way better, way more options. Shockingly better. Way more vegan and vegetarian options. San Diego, you can eat hot dogs, nachos, and coffee. That is it. But at the Javits Center, it's like a food court, and you can get Lisa's dumplings. They were literally a stand called Lisa's Dumplings, and we did eat there more than once. And their vegetarian dumplings might be the best vegetarian dumplings that I've ever had, and that is wild to say. Then there was um, the tofu, fried tofu bao bun that oh was my so gosh. good. Yeah, there's like curry stands. There's, uh, there's an empanada food truck. It was truly a feast for the senses. Every different corner of every room and hall had a beautiful, aromatic food smell, which Brad could not appreciate. Uh, yeah, so my COVID has killed my sense of smell, and it is nuts, and I did not realize I had no sense of smell until we were wandering around the show floor, and Lisa's like, oh, this popcorn smell is too intense, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, like... Uh, have you actually 
experienced New York City if you can't smell it? <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I have been there before and smelled it. Uh-huh. And I do know that I'm missing something. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm kind of grateful. I'm yeah. kind of grateful. Uh, but but, but it, it's just wild to me that I didn't realize I had lost my sense of smell until New York Comic Con. And it still has not come back weeks later. And I'm a little concerned, but it's also a little bit of a superpower. I know. I like, I'm kind of jealous that I didn't get any of the cool, novel COVID symptoms. Yeah. And this is talking from a place of profound privilege because I'm yeah. truly, like, I'm very grateful that I'm healthy and all that stuff. But it would have been so fun to get one of those weird, sorry, unique symptoms nope. as long as it goes away. No, nope. I mean, that, yeah, like, I am starting to get a little nervous, but let's move on. The um, other thing you, oh, you were go. talking about, mm -hmm. New York Comic Con being superior to San Diego is the artist alley. Yes. Uh, the artist alley is what? five times, six times as large as the Artist Alley in San Diego? I compare it in time spent. Yeah. Like, when we go to San Diego, we might spend two hours, maybe two and a half hours in Artist Alley. Yeah. At New York Comic Con, we spent two days. Yeah, two days. Two days. Two glorious days uh, going from person to person, saying hello to folks that have been on the show, meeting new po folks, begging new folks to come on our show, getting promises, verbal agreements. <laughs> We're holding them to it. Steve Orlando, we are slowly circling. We're coming at you. <laughs> he said 2023, it's going to happen. So That you know. sounds really far away. Uh, Alex Segura, uh, I think we're going to get him on the show yes. uh, in the near future as well. We also got to meet for the first time Jonathan Hickman. Mm -hmm. He was there promoting Three Worlds, Three Moons. And, you know, uh, we are starstruck by Jonathan Hickman. He's written some of our all-time favorite runs, his Avengers run, Fantastic Four. Of course, everything he's done with Krakoa. Uh, and I think meeting him was the encounter in which I was the most awkward and fanish. And I just have to accept that. Uh, you know, you, you sometimes you come away from these like five minute meetings at artist tables and you go like, they're my best friend now. And I don't think that happened. <laughs> I think Jonathan Hickman did get the full brunt of Brad's fanboy behavior. And for that, I am sorry, but it's just an honest reaction. I think that that is one thing about doing the artist alley. It's not just like how much cash do I have in my bank account or in my wallet or whatever. It's also like how much like social capital sure. like I have left or how many like, I guess to use a, a very comic book couples counseling term, like how many spoons I have left in my drawer. Yeah. We did find ourselves on the floor doing the kind of math of can I meet one more person and not come across as a total weirdo. Like we did go, okay, we have to move this, this, and this person to the next day. Because yeah. if I, if I come in now hot, yeah. you know, it's going to be too much. Yeah. Well, and that's what happened with Jonathan Hickman. I have like that really awkward, like, I love you. And then you're like, okay, I think we should press pause on artist alley and move on to something else in return when we are uh, more socially 
uh, normal. <laughs> <laughs> Our love tank is spent. We yeah. need to go upstairs and do some uh, retail therapy. One of my favorite experiences at New York Comic Con was getting to chat with Jay Lee for a good while. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but Jay Lee was the first artist I ever stood in line to get their autograph. Uh, This would have been around 1993 when he started his Namor run. And I would have been about 14, 13 years old. And I remember going to Joe Gumbinger's Burke used books and comics and being so excited that I was going to meet somebody who made these things that I love so much. And I remember having a positive interaction with Jay Lee back then. And I wanted to meet him again and say, hey, FYI, you're a big part of the reason why I love comics today. Why I'm here. Yeah, why I'm here. And I didn't realize that Jay Lee grew up going to that comic book store. That was his comic book store. Uh, He's a Burke, Virginia kid, Mm -hmm. uh, like myself. And that blew my mind. And we got to talk about Joe, uh, rest in peace. And we got to talk about all the booksellers who used to uh, sling comics there. And it was really lovely. But I had nothing with me to get signed at Jay Lee's table. And Jay Lee was doing sketches. He was all booked up by the time I got to him. I think he was was, also selling prints. He was selling prints and he was selling art. Now, we did not have a tube with us. That, I think, was also a critical failure. Next time we go to New York Comic Con, we got to bring a tube so we can carry prints around. So I decided that I was going to find one of those Namor comics up on the show floor. I decided it. It had to happen. Up there in that show floor, there had to be a dealer selling those Namor comics. And damn it, if you wouldn't know it, I went to the dollar comic bin at this one seller and he had Jay Lee's first Namor comic there. The comic that I got signed back in 1993. So I paid my 99 cents, bought that comic and brought it down to Jay Lee. And I was like, look what I got. And he's like, (laughs) you found that issue upstairs is like, where did you get it? And I, we are like, not uh, in the dollar bin, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I said, oh, they had a guy selling it up there. It was more than a dollar. I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was just, it was a really lovely full circle moment mm. for myself. And I think Jay Lee had a good time chatting about Joe Gumbinger's shop, but I know. I will remember this moment from New York Comic Con for the rest of my life. We also had a slightly tighter full circle moment, tighter time-wise, at the Midtown Comics booth after standing in line to meet Cliff Chang once again. Right, because back at San Diego Comic Con, we had a short conversation with Cliff Chang and Brian K. Vaughn during the Paper Girls press room. And I love that conversation. It's one of my favorite moments from this year's San Diego. But you don't necessarily think that this guy's going to remember you out of the six reporters who were surrounding him at that table. Exactly. So we started out by trying to, like, uh, couch our reintroduction in, like, you probably don't remember us. Yes. Um, We were in that press room. And he goes, oh, yeah, you guys are comic book couples counseling. 
Yes. Uh, and we were totally stunned. And he was like, yeah, I recognize you by your hair from the <laughs> art for your podcast. Right. Yeah. Our show poster, as you hopefully have seen from Karen Charm, is an homage to that green arrow, black canary till death do us part trade paperback. And we got his blessing. I, I, I asked him, I was like, is it OK that we are, we're homaging your poster? He's like, you know, I love it. Yeah. So, um. So uh, to me, I I credit that recognition entirely to Karen. Right. He wasn't really recognizing us as much as her art and how right. well it uh, encapsulated us. Um, but still, that was really Super cool. Super cool. Very cool. He was extremely nice. We chatted for a little while, got our paper girls uh, signed, and... Uh, um, and then we giggled away like two two <laughs> yeah. school children. Yeah, it was a really special comic book couples counseling New York Comic Con. And in that vein, we also met up with so many friends that we have made via Twitter and Instagram and our like our online community in the flesh. Yeah, in the meat realm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so gross. So first we uh, found Guido and Rob. I found them. We were flipping through floppies, I think at Victory Comics or somewhere. Yeah. And um, they sidled up right next to us to flip. And I just like, bug, 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 Guido and Rob. And they're like, hey. Yeah, yeah. That was so much fun. And like, I think the next day, Elliot from Elliot Comic Art, who provides so much of our artwork as well, uh, we were able to meet him for the first time and give him a sticker of his own artwork. He, yeah, he did like, um, he was kind of, cause he'd spent like of anybody that we've met in the online realm, he's probably spent the most time just staring at pictures of us <laughs> uh, because a lot of his art includes our visages. Yep. And um, he, I saw him as an artist catch a glimpse of my profile and look kind of like surprised. He's like, you know what? I spend so much time looking at you like head on and, and I've never really gotten to look at your profile. And I was like, don't you dare ever put my profile on any kind of art. I, there's a reason why all of the pictures of me are like from head on. Um, but I, I'm still lovely from the side. You guys can believe that. And so we kept meeting up with them throughout the con. And on Saturday night, we escaped the Javits Center uh, finally and had a, a little dinner with them over at the Gotham Market. And it was like this comic book couples counseling meets Dear Watchers uh, event. And we just got to geek out about all the things that we normally geek out about online, but this time in person. You you think like sometimes when you meet someone from Twitter or whatever, you feel like a little like like nervous or like uncomfortable, but like with Guido and Rob and Elliot, it was just like so easy. Yeah. Like it felt, uh, it, it felt like just hanging out with old friends. It, it was like the most natural thing in the world. It did not feel like a first meeting. And it, it was interesting because after that, we had also made plans to meet up with Chris from the Oblivion Bar, mm -hmm. Dallas from Comics Collective, and Doug from Every Kind of Geek. And so we went from like having tacos and margaritas. We went uptown, or I don't know if it's uptown. We went to Times Square <laughs> uh, or near Times Square. Again, we're not New Our Yorkers. geography of New York is not... No, Literal. it's not good. It's not good. Uh, we went to Joe's Pizza, which you can see in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. 
and uh, we had a slice and then we went to an Irish pub and had some beers. So like Saturday night, we were really partying it up, which is very ungulixen like. Yeah, generally um, I'm a, a, a never go to a second location kind of gal. Yeah, but but that, I went to a second and a third. Yeah, just playing it yeah. fast and loose. But Chris, Dallas, uh, Doug, and Chris's friend Emily, we had such a good time just. Bonding over podcast stuff, yeah. just talking about whatever, yeah, future it, plans. It it felt like um, that high school reunion thing, mm. right? Where uh, we're meeting up with old friends, except these old friends are online friends. And we're saying, like, here's the state of the union regarding our lives. What's the state of the union regarding your lives? How can we keep supporting each other? Uh, it, it just felt extremely special. Yeah. Like if if we were ranking like the best moments of the New York Comic Con, getting to hang out with Robin Guido from Dear Watchers and Elliot, our artist, mm-hmm. and Chris from Oblivion Bar, Dallas from Comics Collective, Doug from Every Kind of Geek, like this that that was like the truly special thing, mm-hmm. and it's what I now expect from every New York Comic Con. That's right. We want all of these same. Yeah, yeah. Plus more. Yeah, plus more. Plus more. And we did get to meet up with a bunch of other people, too. Didn't get to have as long a conversations with these folks, but like Dan from the Gate Crashers, Mm -hmm. Daniel from the WMQ&A podcast. Adam Reck from Battle of the Atom. Adam Reck caught us as we were leaving the Sandman Audible experience off-site. We were just like decompressing from that wild room where Sandman came to life for us. Which I guess we'll talk about on our Sandman episode. Yeah, our Patreon. Patreon. If you're a Patreon listener, you'll get to hear about how we almost met Neil Gaiman, but totally didn't. (laughs) Uh, So sign up for our Patreon. Uh, and, And so we ran into Adam. Adam actually saw us just trying to like, you know, come down from the audible high and sat down with us and we chatted for a good long portion. Adam is actually doing the art for our holiday card this year. He's already completed it and it is truly something delightful. Epic. I can't wait to start mailing those out to our patrons. Uh, yeah, Shazam! That's and all I'll also, say. And um, also, we got to see Pat Loika. Now we've seen him on both coasts. Yes, yes, and yes. And he's doing really well. He's getting ready for his kidney transplant. And, and he showed us, he's been doing a black and white series of just like, of his friends not in cosplay. If yeah, you guys portraits. Don't, don't follow Pat Loika on all of the, you totally should. If he's you like, the ultimate cosplay photographer. He really, truly has a vision. He really captures people beautifully. And in San Diego, he took took our photos and that felt surreal <laughs> to be uh, uh to, to have our souls trapped in his lens uh yeah true come honor. true yeah an honor and then of course Kat Calamia and Phil Falco so we cool. always want more time with those two and we're going to see him in Baltimore in a couple yes. weeks so that's great we should actually try to like do a lunch with them that yeah. feels like that needs to happen i hope we're cool enough i we probably are not uh so yeah like what have we not talked about new york comic con wise you know, we did some panels. We went to the Remembering uh, George Perez panel. I think that would be my last, like, highlight. Because yeah. it was such a beautiful event. And it was, like, I love memorial panels. I know that sounds kind of like a... Morbid. A, morbid. <laughs> but what I like about them is it's really the place where people talk about other artists. Yeah. Without, with total gratitude and with 
kind of like with abandon. Well, I mean, there's celebrations, right? Yeah. And, you know, we should always celebrate the people that are in our lives while we have them. But it's also nice to say thank you to the life that's left us. Mm-hmm. And on that panel was Alex Segura, Phil Jimenez, um, Constant Eza, uh, Dan Jurgens and Dan DiDio. And they the stories they told were very meaningful, mm-hmm. filled with joy. And it it felt like a privilege to just hear them discuss George Perez. Um, you know, sadly, right before New York Comic Con, we lost another immense talent, Kim Jung-ji. And they set up his table in Artist Alley, and it became this shrine to his life throughout the weekend. People would write notes on his table. They would leave drawings, uh, portraits of Kim Jung-ji, flowers, so many flowers. It started off as one table, then stretched out to two tables. And periodically going back to that spot in Artist Alley, and talking to the people who gathered around those two tables, that was also something unlike anything else I've experienced before and truly beautiful. I think sometimes places like Artist Alley can kind of be maligned for being like very capitalistic. Like you're going and you're paying $5 for someone to write their name and you're standing in line and, um, and it can feel very material. But I think that, um, Kim Jung Ji's table reminds us that artist alleys are so much more than that. Yes. They're an opportunity for us to commune as a community, which feels redundant to say, but that that's what it is. Like the art is in a way completed by the fans who read it. And so I, I really do feel the gratitude going both ways. Yeah. We get to go up to the writers and artists going like, your ideas and your your craft is enriching our lives. And they get to say, well, by you reading our stories, my life is enriched. And it's just like this place of celebration. And this was the first time where I, I think I started to properly understand that. Uh, you know, being the awkward weirdo that I am, when you go to... I don't know, Nick Dragota, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 get your copy of Ghost Cage signed and thank him for coming on the podcast. And then he is so grateful for us. When I've been in experiences like that where the creator starts to go like, no, you know, we, we couldn't do it without you. And, you know, I'd be like, oh, go, you know, oh, you be quiet. You don't need to thank me. I need to thank you. But this was the first time where I felt like there was a legitimate relationship between us as the fan and them as the creator. And I'm starting to uh, be less awkward in accepting the thanks of the creator when they give it to you. And I think once you get over that hurdle of awkwardness, you then can have a legitimate conversation like we did have with Nick Dragota at his table. And I wanna make this clear, getting over the hurdle of awkwardness is not not be it's not being not awkward like <laughs> the awkwardness is the inevitability yeah it's yeah. the resisting the awkwardness that is the impediment yeah. so if you just go into these these conversations going like hey this isn't the most natural thing in the world <laughs> and we're both doing the best that we can yeah, and yeah. uh and then we have that like love exchange which sounds dirty but i don't mean it that way yeah yeah and, and like that's 
Like, that's the transaction in, like, a transcendent thing. That's Artist Alley, mm -hmm. the love exchange. Yes. Artist Alley is the love exchange. And once you accept their love, as well as giving your own love, I I, I think it's something transcendent. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time, honestly, where... I don't know if I fully achieved that nirvana, but I'm closer <laughs> to it. And I'm so excited about that fact. I'm compressing in me like a joke about sticky carpets. Stop and I'm it. just like, okay, I'm sorry. Stop it, stop it, stop it. So I don't know, that was our New York Comic Con experience. I think the only thing that we didn't really talk about was the fact that Lisa and I were utterly exhausted the entire time. Yes. Uh, not only were we, you know, like we, you know, we checked with our doctors. We were fully a okay to travel and commune Not, with people. No longer contagious. Yeah, no longer contagious after COVID. But we were still pretty wrung out. Mm -hmm. And then add to that the stress of travel. We drove up to New York. It's about a four-hour drive from Virginia. And then we stayed in a hotel in New Jersey in the Meadowlands. And every morning we got up early, got into a car, used Spot Hero. Lifesaver, not an advertisement for Spot Hero, but it worked out really well for us. Didn't pay an arm and a leg thanks to Spot Hero. Stop saying Spot Hero, Brad. We would travel <laughs> through the Lincoln Tunnel, get to our parking spot, and then do a full day of con. Now, here's the other thing that happened, all right? Uh, our hotel had a fire alarm incident and evacuated one night. Yes. And it was terrifying. Uh, you know, normally like a fire alarm goes off and you just assume like, uh, some idiots pulled an alarm. It's a prank. It's a, you know, something minor. But what happened is the alarm goes off. I wake up from dead sleep. Lisa barely wakes up. She's like, that's so loud. I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> the fire alarm. Brad, how did you make that noise? And please stop it. Yeah. I was like, no, Lisa, that's a fire alarm. Uh, what freaked me out is I heard everyone running in our hallway. We were on the fourth floor of this hotel. And I look out the door. I open the door. I'm practically nude. I just have my underwear on. <laughs> and there's a father, and he has his small child over his shoulder, and he's screaming at his slightly larger child, the building's on fire. <laughs> we got to get out. And when I saw him in his pure panic scream, the building's on fire, I went into panic mode. Yeah. And Lisa and I rushed out of the building. We threw clothes on first. Just a few clothes. Thankfully, I grabbed the keys to the car so you could go then sleep in the car while we waited for the fire truck to show up. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was quite shocking. And I think also contributed to the fact that I never felt uh, quite alive at New York Comic Con. It's funny because this happened at a time of night that could have easily rolled into the morning. Yes. Like when it happened, I was. it felt like two in the morning. It felt like so late slash It was actually early. like right before six o'clock. Yeah. So, so we go back up to the room and then I munch like a full night's <laughs> worth of melatonin and yeah. go right back to sleep. And it, we had originally planned to get up at like seven and right. we ended up getting up at 945. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing that's different about New York Comic Con is I guess because it's in an even more urban environment, there's not there's not like a culture of like sleeping outside in line. Well, there is, I mean, people do do it. Yeah. But it's, it's generally inside the Javits Center. 
Uh, we did not choose to do it. We, and we, we didn't, didn't mess re- with any standby lines. We, we didn't really need to with right. our goals in mind. Right. So that, that just wasn't the con for us. Like mm-hmm. we weren't trying to like get into Hall H. Or get into the Funko line or right, something ridiculous. Right, right, right. Um, so we were able to sleep in till 10 o'clock and still have a good full day at the con just walking around like a zombie. So before we close out our little like segment on New York Comic Con, do you have like future goals for like what's going to be part of our plan of attack for the upcoming New York Comic Con? Oh, I mean, there's a few like silly things, right? We did not bring any books with us mm-hmm. to the convention. So when we got there and we wanted to have our love exchanges with these artists, we had to spend money quite a bit of money to we do so. We rebought books that we already had. Right, Which right. is great because that means the we now have doubles of stuff that we can give away. Yeah, like you meet Steve Orlando, you want to get your Midnighter copy signed. We should have brought our Midnighter copy, but we didn't, so we bought his. And we just did that over and over and over again. So I think we spent way too much money at this New York Comic Con. And since we're driving up there, there's no reason we can't just rent a U-Haul truck, <laughs> load it up with our comics, and bring it up to the New York Comic Con, right? Uh, and I think we would do that next time. Um, one thing I'd like to do next time is really meditate over the panels. Yeah. Because I know from talking to Gita and Rob in particular that there were really cool panels that we just straight up missed. And I would recommend our listeners, and there will be a link in the show notes, mm-hmm. to head over to their post-New York Comic Con Dear Watchers episodes. They, theirs is actually a two-parter. Yeah. I recommend listening to both. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I think we could have absorbed the panel schedule a little bit better. You know, the panels we did see, American Born Chinese, mm-hmm. great panel. Perfect panel. The George Perez panel, great panel. We also did the Periphery panel, the new Amazon Prime show starring Jack Rayner and Chloe Grace Moretz. That was an okay panel. It was an okay panel. I am interested in that show now in a way that I wasn't beforehand. Mm-hmm. And we did press for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Yes. Uh, and we loved those first two episodes. Oh, man. Um, it's not exactly like the comic but in the best way possible. Shockingly. Yeah. Yes. Like, so the beginning of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, if you have read the comic, Lunella is very isolated. She's very lonely. And it comes across as she's she's very angsty in the beginning, which I love, but I don't think it would necessarily translate to a cartoon particularly well. Lunella in the TV version has a best girlfriend. She has a multi-generational family that she's close to and loves. And I really think it's like a really upbeat, representation-heavy, jubilant show. And I highly recommend it. We were going to include those conversations with the producers and voice talent of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur in this episode. But the way that that press room ended up working out... The audio quality was not the best. And if you want more details, we'll tell you on our Patreon. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let's leave it at that. Uh, We will be doing an article for Film School Rejects when the show comes out. So look for that around February 11th. But again, like Lisa said, the show is so good. Uh, But I think I think we've done as good a job as we can talking about our experiences with the New York Comic Con. So now everybody listening will also be there too at the next New York Comic Con and they'll all say hi to us and they'll all get three inch diameter stickers. Yeah, okay, yes, I ordered some CBCC, NYCC exclusive stickers 
And when I placed that order, I selected one inch by one inch. So they came out the size of a nickel and they didn't look good. Poor Elliot <laughs> had like spent all this time doing these incredible designs for us. And when I printed them out, they were blurry and awful. And I'm sorry, Lisa. But if you guys are interested in that art, it is available on Elliot's Tea Public. And then you can wear like a shirt with her face on it. Or you can drink coffee or any beverage from a mug with her face on it. Or you could go shopping, you could go to the grocery store with a bag with her face on yeah, it. Yeah, and people have already purchased shirts and totes of that design. And, I, and they've tweeted it out. And, and it's I not love, just Brad's mom. No, no, I <laughs> love seeing it. And we did have so many people come up to us at New York Comic Con to say hi to us. And it was a thrill. And yes, it was a little awkward to be like, look, you, I'm, I'm sure you're expecting some really cool New York Comic Con exclusive CBCC stickers, and here you go, the, the size of a nickel. And it got a laugh every time. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, if you see us at the Baltimore Comic Con, the Baltimore Comic Con exclusive stickers that Elliot has made, we've printed them out. They're three by three. They look awesome. Amazing. And I'll probably reprint out the New York Comic Con ones and if we gave you a sticker at New York Comic Con and you want a proper one, we'll mail you. Yeah, just a good hit us version. up on Twitter and yeah. we will mail you the proper size sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny, so ridiculous. And, you know, th but that that's a good way to lead into the other big highlight of the show. Not just meeting all these rad people, our friends, but... The listeners, mm. listeners coming up to us and saying, hi, Brad and Lisa, or, hey, are you comic book couples counseling? Like, uh, it was emotional every time. And I, I had to play it cool, and I never did. And we didn't get pictures with all of you, and um, and that breaks our hearts. Some of you did not post your pictures of us, and we are brokenhearted, <laughs> because yeah. we are too shy to be like, and now we want your picture, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Post your photos with CBCC on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, Justin. Yeah, <laughs> Nate. Bochia posted his picture, and he got a better picture of us than we did, so I, that was I, really I lovely. love Bochia's photo. Um, so yeah, that's New York Comic Con. We need to move on to our actual conversation with Matt Lesniewski talking about Faceless and the Family. Uh, Lisa and I have had a chance to read the first issue. It's so good, guys. We're already in the bag for everything Matt does. If you have not read Static or Crimson Flower, The Freak, his mind management bootleg issue, you owe it to yourself to do so. Matt makes comics unlike anyone else out there. To me, his art and his writing style is like the very definition of like brilliant, when yeah. you call someone brilliant, like, cause it's so different. It illuminates parts of your own imagination that you didn't know was there. What he's doing, no one else is doing. Yeah, yeah. He and, has a truly unique vision. And he knows that. And I think that makes him a little nervous because the fear is that the Wednesday warrior crowd will not respond mm. to it. And that's where he is when we have this conversation. But we have the benefit of knowing that the Zoop campaign is already off to a rockin' start. Uh, you know, the goal was $12,000. They've raised over $20,000. So yes, there is a fan base waiting for stories like this. So I think it'll be a little fun for listeners to go into this conversation knowing that success has already happened when you hear Matt 
reluctantly go, I don't know. To give you a little like plot synopsis to get you into the story of Faceless and the Family, it opens with Faceless getting ready to end 10 years of isolation. He, at a low point in his life, joined this gang. He now wants to disassociate from that gang, so he's picked up a random pipe and he's wearing it over his face until he can get some reconstructive surgery. On his travels, he runs into this other guy, Jerry, and Jerry is also coming out of isolation and he wants to start new memories in his life. So they start traveling together to, to uh, like meet their common goals. And then also in the first issue, there is this woman character. We don't learn that much about her, um, but from our little plot synopsis on Zoop, we know that this is Carp and she is looking for a partner, like a life partner, a love relationship. And so um, in Matt's copy on Zoop, he calls it kind of like a Wizard of Oz type yeah. story, but in like a an apocalyptic landscape. And that totally fits. Although what I love about this conversation is you get to learn what the true inspiration for Faceless and the Family was. And it shocked me. Yeah. It shocked me. Uh, we're, we're not going to spoil it here. Um, but yes, so uh, Faceless in the Family, a really fascinating apocalyptic story, science fiction fantasy, drawn by Lesniewski, so it doesn't look like anything else. And it does share some thematic ties to his previous work, Static, which he did with Dark Horse Comics. I think your experience with Faceless in the Family would be enhanced by reading Static as well. Um, but I think I think that's really gonna do it uh, for the setup to this conversation. Lisa and I are gonna jump out of here and uh, bring Matt into the love nest and uh, let's, let's chit chat. I've done that joke before. Yeah, and we have our own theme, Sorry. our own transition theme, Lisa. Sorry, I just like to make that sound. Matt, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Oh, gosh. You know, the last time we spoke about Static, one of the things that we focused on was how uh, I marveled at your panels and how in those panels you can recognize the painstaking agony it must take to create these things. And here I am reading Faceless and the Family, which takes place on the hand planet. Yeah. <laughs> and it just recalls that conversation once again you know you seem very focused on what your hands can produce in the visual imagery of this book is that fair to say still um yeah it i mean it's definitely a different approach but um well a different <laughs> approach let's let's pull that apart a little bit what do you mean exactly by that well with with static i I intentionally wanted to see how much I could do with one page. Yes. And um, I was, I was very into the whole, let's do, you know, 20 panels on a page or maybe not 20, but a bunch of panels and capture all those little moments in between, you know, the moments that really matter and see what we can do with that storytelling wise. And with this one, I intentionally wanted to, for the most part, kind of do the opposite of that where um, I think the downside of static, you weren't seeing the artwork 
as much because so much of it is either crammed into mm. a tiny panel or was distilled down. Whereas this one, I'm, I'm expanding doing on average three to five panels a page. So they're bigger and you can see a lot more of that detail. And I'm having to, storytelling wise, I'm, I'm picking what I'm showing more. Whereas before it's, like I said, I'm, I'm getting every little nuance of what's happening. And in this, it's, it's more, I don't know, I guess plot based. You know what I mean? It's, I'm spending more time than ever on the actual art. Oh, interesting. Within a comic, like it's probably too much. I mean, at times I'm, I'll, I'll be thinking, you know, on the next one, I'm going to do the opposite of this and I'm going to figure out, and this is just an idea, but it's, I'm going to do a comic where it's a very simplified version of what I'm doing now or completely reinventing what I do so that I can really just churn out the pages and it's more based on the storytelling more than anything rather than the artwork itself. I mean, the storytelling always comes first, but with all those textures and different, you know, details and and that stuff, it it's a choice, but I'm it just I don't know, it's you always wonder if the grass is greener on the other side. Like <laughs> if I was not doing this and I was I was producing more would I be happier with that? I don't know. It's a, it's a constant, I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it sounds to me, and you know, I, I think we discussed this a little bit in our last conversation, but you are the type of creator who is always questioning the decisions they're making. And yeah. that could be a recipe for stagnation. Uh, but mm. you always seem to eventually like, okay, well, this is the path I've picked. I've selected this approach and I'm going to stick with it on this comic at least. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I exactly. I've picked this and now I've, I can't just change it up midway. And because it's taking longer than ever, it's an even longer, you know, contract with myself. Mm. And, but I'm kind of thinking of it like it's a home cooked comic. Mm. Whereas um, it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily better, but it's, I'm taking, taking my time with it. And I'm, I'm using all these different ingredients, you know, all the different textures and I'm really putting the love into it and, you know, baking it in the oven slowly. And as opposed to the simplified idea is, is kind of like the microwave way, mm-hmm. which that's cool too. But I, I've just picked, I picked this and now I'm, I'm making it sound like it's bad. It's not at all. It's, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> but it's arduous, right? Like that's yeah. the part of the enjoyment is the pain in which you put into it. Sure. It, it's just, I, the thing that gets me is like, oh, I wish I was just doing more because I have more stories I want to tell. Yeah, I'm making it sound bad. It, it's not, I'm, I'm <laughs> loving every minute of it. It's really wonderful. And your imagination is just like so apparent on the page and I would love for you to talk a little bit about the literal inspirations for setting this story on a hand planet where the, the fingers are these precious places. The world itself, I actually thought of before this story. It, it was from a, a story I was writing maybe a year ago or, or mm-hmm. a year before this, but it didn't fit the story. So I, I kind of set the hand planet aside and just thought this is too good of an idea to throw away. This will fit something else. And so when I was coming up with this story or when the story kind of came to me, it fit perfectly. Like it just, I don't know, it, it, it was the perfect setting. Um, the actual story kind of spawned from this movie I was watching. It's called The Invitation. 
I think it used to be on Netflix. Karen Kusama, right? Is the director? Uh, could be. <laughs> I don't remember. It, it's kind of like a um, like a thriller thing. It, essentially, it's it's these uh, these old friends that all kind of come to this one house and they yeah, all... it's Karen Kusama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, at the end of that, I I got the idea and I'm like, oh wait, what if I did a comic where it was it was like these different misfit characters and they all originally the idea was way more simple. It was it was more similar to that too. The whole thing was gonna be just in a house, similar to that movie. I'm like, ah, that that's not enough. It's, no one's gonna stick around for that, you know, four or five issues. But that does happen in the beginning. So you can kind of see that inspiration there. This uh, is mind blowing because Lisa and I love that do. movie. We really? adore that okay. film. Uh, we saw that, uh, I don't know, about four years ago, five years ago. It came out in two, 2015. Yeah, Fantastic yeah. Fest, Yeah, right? And we interviewed Karen Kusama no way. for our other podcast about it. Like, I don't want to spoil that movie for anyone who hasn't seen The Invitation, but the ending of The Invitation, the final shot of that movie and the revelation of that movie yeah. is so haunting. Mm -hmm. And I love hearing that Faceless kind of has It's fun from that. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, it, I was blown away by it, but I, I didn't really hear too many people talking about it i mean it, i don't know i just at, at the end of it it just hit me i'm like oh wait what if i it, it inspired the the original idea and then it it grew from there um so if anyone's seen that or hasn't seen it check it out i mean in your copy on zoop you actually bring up a different movie you compare uh this story to the wizard of oz and then we've only gotten to read the first issue um but it seems to be like a story about like self-acceptance and um you know the the objects our our characters are going for are like related to your identity like faceless wants a face uh jerry wants his memories back uh carp wants a family like so was the um wizard of oz inspiration you something that you found like in retrospect or was that also in there from the beginning? Uh, yeah, it, it was more. It was more after the fact. But I, I just kind of, I'm not the best with explaining my ideas or you know selling them in quotes. So that was a good way of. I, I just kind of saw a resemblance there. Oh, it's this group of odd yet lovable characters, and they're all each looking for one thing. What does that remind you of? Reminds me of the Wizard of Oz, and they're going to this place to get this thing. And you always hear that, oh, my story is this meets this. Mm -hmm. Make it even simpler. It's think of it like my own version of that. Not many people have seen the invitation or, or you know, <laughs> if you compare it to The Wizard yeah. of Oz. Yeah. So, yeah. But if somebody tells me, oh, this comic book is uh, The Wizard of Oz meets The Invitation. Ooh. It's like, oh, I'm reading that twice. That sounds amazing. That. I should use that. I reread Static also to prepare for this interview. And I noticed some like connective theme tissue between the two works. Like they both open up with this individual that's living in a place of regret where they've been kind of goal drifting, which is like they have been like actively maintaining a status quo that they hate. Mm -hmm. And and they feel themselves like not moving in the direction of like happiness or satisfaction. Um, is this connective theme purposeful or is this something you feel like you're like working through personally? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, every comic that I've done, it, there's some level of 
it, it's personal and it's it comes from me. And there's aspects of it that are completely made up and it's fictional and and whatever. But if anything, I, I I'm trying to differentiate the two mm-hmm. to some extent. But there is I I feel like part of me is you know, why fight that? If that's, if that's really what I'm trying to say, or, or that's something I'm, something I want to explore through comics, why not? And I feel like it's, a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never, it's never an intentional thing. I'm never, you know, trying to, like, I have an agenda and if you don't get it, you're wrong. It's, I don't know, it just, I guess it's just kind of shining through, maybe in an obvious way, maybe not obvious to some, I, I don't know. It's hopefully, that is, that is one thing that I, going into this, I was a little hesitant to, I don't know, have, have out, like, I don't know, maybe I have to switch it up a little bit. But, no, no, no. I mean, no Lisa I'm definitely not saying it's a bad thing. It's, <laughs> but you do see that a lot with different creators across music, movies, whatever. Uh, there's this theme that keeps popping up or a similar theme. And I feel like, yeah. I don't know, maybe this is part of my thing, but it's just, you know, I'm not that far removed from when I made Static. This is only when I first started coming up with this, it was probably a little over a year ago. So, I mean, it's still me. It's all coming from me. So, well, that's um, like the great thing about your books, Matt. You know, like, uh, you know, I look, I go back to The Freak. I look at Static. I look at uh, Faceless in the Family. And they're all, they, they all feel thematically forward. And, and maybe that speaks to who we are as readers because we tend to be folks who go digging for theme and finding ourselves and our, how we can relate to the themes that are being discussed in these books. But maybe also that's the type of creator you are. You are a thematically forward creator. Yeah. And you have to think every book could be someone's first time reading my work. So at the very least, <laughs> it's like, well, they haven't heard this yet. So I don't know. It, I, I, part of me thinks about it too much. And then another part of me tries not to think about it at all. And it's like, if this is authentically what I'm trying to create, then just let it happen. I don't know. That, I'm well, not sure what, what else to say about that. It's Isn't it also kind of dangerous for the artist to get too worked up in what their themes are? You know, like, isn't yeah. that sort of the reader's problem? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I don't even know if it's a problem at all. It's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, while I'm making it, I'm not analyzing it in that way as much. I'm kind of just following what feels right, I guess. I mean, so much of it is 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 the drawing part because that takes the longest. So I'm and once I'm in that zone, I'm kind of kind of in this robotic just produce art mode. And I'm not now that now the thinking about theme or any of the other stuff, it's it's not as much on my mind. So once that's once that's kind of figured out, it's a little bit in the background. Uh, and then it's maybe after the fact or when I'm doing interviews that I'm having to look back on it. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's just not always, I'm not always thinking about it that much. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's such a treat for us to be able to chat with a writer artist, like a, a letter, like you're the whole package, right? Like faceless of the family is like you, it just explodes from you. But what's yeah. interesting to hear you speak is this idea of, there's Matt, the writer, who comes up with the idea and what, where this story is driving. And then there's Matt, the artist, who can then kind of relax and just execute the writer's vision. Yeah, I don't know. That's just how I do it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if other people do it a different way, but I, 
I, I just go through the phases. First, it's the imagination, um, just pacing around, thinking about this thing, and it's all in my head, and I'm seeing it. That's how I do even, you know, commissions or just little sketches. I, I see it first, and then I have that to work off of. I'm not making it in the moment. Yes. I don't know if people do that, but it's all, I'm envisioning it. Then I have to make sense of it and make it into, put it into story form. So from there I write, now I'm writer, Matt. And then I'm doing my best to write for myself, put it into script, uh, full script. Then, like you said, I just, then I can kind of, well, it's different parts of the brain. I'm, I'm putting that, that part to the side. Now I'm just, all right, let's make this happen. Put it into uh, comic book form. And what's, lovely uh, for your audience, especially those like us who happen to also be patrons, is we get to watch the slow process through your Patreon feed of creation. Because like we signed up for your Patreon when Static came out. And back then we started to see doodles of characters and designs of what would ultimately be revealed as Faceless and the family. And I'm, I'm wondering about the creation process on this book. You have this hand planet that came from someplace else, and then you have Faceless's story. Like, does the story come first? Does the design of the characters come first? Like when you were initially putting out those designs on your Patreon feed of Faceless, like, did you know, like, what his story was? I, I, I want to say I, I definitely already had, that was probably in the middle of the writing phase or the phase where I'm somewhere in between where I'm thinking about the story already and I'm trying to, like, something can be, like I said, it is in my head, but it's sometimes it could be blurry. So when yeah. I'm sketching out these characters, that's me making it real. Pro I probably already had the idea somewhat fleshed out. It, it Story-wise, I probably, but that might have been an older version of it because I, there was two versions of this where I, it was a longer, more dense, uh, probably more boring version of it where it was going to be like 40 page issues and more similar to Static where I was getting more of those slower moments or, or you know, the in-between highlighting different parts of what's going on. Then I had this other comic come up that I thought I was going to do. So I set this aside and then that didn't happen. So then I returned to this and I rewrote the whole thing. Oh, wow. And, and just realized like, this isn't, no one's going to want this anyway, because it's, it's too weird and it's too, so believe it or not, this version that you have <laughs> is, is like the mainstream version, the cut down, like, all right, 20 something pages. It's more snappy as far as plot moments like just get to the next thing it starts off a little slow but definitely once once it's about midway it doesn't stop it's pretty much it's it's moving along which is a little different from what i did before hmm. especially at, in like issue two and three i want to get into your character building a little bit because this story focuses around four people who are coming out of isolation with kind of like each person has um, different needs. And um, when you were setting up those four characters, like how were you thinking in terms of 
contrast and really rounding out this little family we're going to get to meet. I definitely took a lot of time to figure them out who, before mm-hmm. I even saw them in my head. I it might sound crazy, but I, I was just thinking, who is this person mm-hmm. and how do they make sense in this family? Or, you know, how would they contrast who, who else is there? There would be time where I just set it aside and it, it just what nothing was coming to me or before anything, I was just thinking about what they're maybe lacking or what or the thing that they're looking for and it would change and I just had descriptions mm-hmm. and I didn't necessarily have a name or what they looked like but from that then I would get the look once I figured that out faceless is escaping what he says is 10 years of isolation and I feel like I've been in 10 years of isolation <laughs> over the past two years right and yeah given our pandemic living this desire now where things are now starting to be manageable, I guess, I suppose, says somebody who just had COVID, <laughs> who, oh, who just, who's just getting over COVID. I feel like the last two years, I've been on pause, and I'm desperate to be right. out of pause. Yeah. Like sometimes, like I said, I feel like sometimes my ideas are too weird, or they're maybe, maybe people don't relate to them, but at least there's that. I did have that in mind, like, well, at least everyone can relate to this. I love, Matt, that you're like, I don't know how people will respond. Like, to me, as uh, I'm going to call myself uh, a super fan of yours. Mm -hmm. I've read every single work of yours that's available. Uh, Thank you. You know, Mind Management Bootleg, your issue is my favorite issue of Mind Management Bootleg. And I love that series. Wow. Um, Thank you. Oh, you're you're totally welcome. (laughs) Uh, And I just like, for me, when I hand your work to somebody, when I point somebody to your work, they go, shit, I've never seen anything else like this. Your your book, your work is instinctly, immediately, instinctively recognizable as something apart from what else is being put out there in the world. And I would think that that would give me, as the creator, uh, a sense of um, confidence. I mean, I, you, I don't know. I, I don't know what people like that. That's sure. That's one thing. I, the longer I'm doing this, the less I know what people like, and I never know what's going to get a good response or not, Like truly sure. I'm lost. So that's why I just, I try to be myself and just do what I enjoy. And hopefully that resonates through it. And whoever likes that, it's kind of like being yourself in life. I kind of do that. I try to use that way of thinking with my art. Like it's, you could kind of, you could try to be with the cool kids and do what they think is going to be cool and do that thing and try to make people like you or whatever. Or you could just be yourself and the people who actually like you for who you are, they gravitate to you. So I I just try to do that because I don't know what people like. I don't know what's cool. I don't know. That's just, that's kind of my philosophy on it. I just try to follow my own thing and if it for better or for worse, maybe it's not a good idea. Maybe <laughs> if, you know I'm I'm going down a, a road that's no one's. I I don't know. Well, you know, I the challenge I think is especially with mainstream comic book uh, audiences, and it's kind of funny to talk about mainstream comic book audiences because you know comic books are not the mainstream. You know, not everyone yeah. in the uh, in the world is reading comic books like they should. Uh, but 
I guess if you're if we're just thinking about the big two, Marvel and DC, and and the superhero aesthetic, mm. you know, your work doesn't align with what you find in the Avengers every month. Right. Uh, but that's also the case for like Daniel Warren Johnson, right? And you, you look at his work, you go like, well, that's not typical superhero artwork. And when a Wednesday Warrior first encounters it, there's like, oh, that doesn't look like how my comic should well, look like. And like, it's the same with Mike Mignola. Yeah. Where Mike Mignola, you know, did mainstream comic books and they all look weird. Yeah, but yeah. But in his own context, doing his own thing, it's some of the most br brilliant stuff ever made. And I think the like the trick is to woo an audience to your context. Mm. I know, I don't know how to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, that good luck, me. I don't know either. Well, I, I think that like, so you have your comic up on Zoop, which is another um, fan, like- Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, how could, how come I yeah. forgot that word? Yeah. All of the words to forget. It's like a crowdfunding operation. Like, does that help you feel more confident where it's just like, well, the people who want to read this are directly, you know, you, there's not that temptation to try to woo like woo people who will never like your work i mean and if i knew what would make me feel confident i would go to that i don't <laughs> nothing does i i don't know it, it there is that benefit it's it's purely direct to whoever is interested oh, i was gonna say something else i forgot well um, you know zoop is you know a, a relatively new crowdfunding uh, organization and i'm fascinated by it and i was watching your YouTube video uh, from a few weeks back talking about uh, the upcoming launch on October 11th. And one of the things you said in your video is, you know, it's such a relief to have a third party deal with all the campaigning side of things. Like if you yes. were doing Kickstarter, like that's a second job and a third job, you know, beyond just the creation process. Absolutely. That's, that's the biggest uh, thing. Like I, it's another possible thing you could do as a creator and it's great that it's there, but it's kind of always scared me away because I barely have, like I said, I'm, I'm spending more time than ever on this actual book. I, there's no way I have time to print stuff out or, you know, track people down and pack stuff up, ship it out and respond to everybody. And I'm already kind of doing that anyway promoting the book. Yeah. So anything that's off my shoulders, I appreciate it. It's like, great. They can handle that stuff and I can spend more time doing what I'm actually good at. <laughs> um, uh, there's a, a moment in that video where you even mention how when you run a campaign, you need to know where you're going to put the palette of books once mm -hmm. they're printed. Like, right. You need yeah. the space. Like, there's just so many aspects to comics that the consumer doesn't really think about. And I love having conversations like this one where, you know, you're like, Kickstarter is great, but it's also a huge pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. And here's a new alternative. And anytime there's a new alternative, it's exciting for the market. Yeah, that's why I, I think Zoop is great. They, you get to have your cake and eat it too with them. Yeah. Like you get the benefits of crowdfunding, but you don't have to do any of that other stuff. So it's perfect for me. Um, it sounds to me like you do like a lot of like tinkering and you go like, ah, oh, you know, I wish I could do more pages in a day. Or maybe if I do th something different, you know, this will, this will work better. Like you're always like changing up your method. Do you ever think about like 
in an ideal world, if I had all of the time in the world, I would work in this specific way. Do you, do you have like your ideal world setting to create your art? You mean within re within reality, right? No, yeah. not within reality. Oh, not within reality? Then, oh, yeah. then, then I would draw just the way I am. Mm. Well, not e no, even, even what I'm doing now, I'm still holding back. Right. It, that's, that's, that's speaking of readers not knowing certain things that go into this stuff. Like almost every comic you're reading, you're only seeing maybe 50% of what an artist is capable of. So with part of why I'm spending a little bit more time is I, I don't have that publisher behind me telling me, oh, you need to get this done at this time. So that kind of frees me up to do maybe 80% of what I'm capable of, but it's just taking so much longer. So to your question, if, if I could do 100% uh, page a day, not even in, in a day, I would say the regular nine to five hours. If I could do that, nine to five hours, weekends off. <laughs> I mean, if you want the dream, yeah. if I could just take a pill that makes me do that, I'm taking it. Oh, I We love to dream. <laughs> we love to dream and we, we love to dream for others. We hope to, that that pill gets taken someday, Matt. I would love it. I would love it. So the book comes out or the, the campaign launches on October 11th from Zoop. We have links in the show notes for it. You're going to be at New York Comic-Con. This episode's coming out after New York Comic-Con. So hopefully we've all had an absolute bash uh, attending the convention this year. This is going I to hope. be our first time going to New York Comic-Con. This is going to be your second time. Yeah. What, what do you hope to get from the experience of a convention, especially now post-pandemic? Well, this one's... Or post, <laughs> not post-pandemic. Because the we both just had happening. COVID. We just had COVID. Right. <laughs> but, but in this new world order, I guess. This one, this one's different than all the others, just because the, uh, this one, I wasn't even planning to go to this one. Um, I, because I, I was going to uh, basically not do any conventions this year so that I could spend all my time doing the actual book. And then it would come out next year because i i initially had a publisher and it's a whole long story but that kind of crumbled and i was left to figure out a new plan and probably a week yeah a week ago us uh, some another artist contacted me and just said oh i can't make it but i have this table do you want it and it just so happens that new york comic-con is a day before the campaign launches yeah so i figured Perfect. This is perfect. It fell up from out of the sky. I need to take full advantage of this and just get a hotel. And um, so for this show, mainly it's all about just getting people to sign up uh, to the pre-launch page and people who don't know it's happening or don't know who I am at all. And because uh, that happens to me all the time, I'll see, I'll see an artist that I'm a fan of and the campaign's over and I, I'm just then finding out about yep. it. And so it's any opportunity I have to um, get the word out. I'll have some of my old books and stuff, but the main focus for this is to try to get people's attention on that. And I'm going to have the original art from the first issue. And um, yeah, that that's the main thing. Just, I don't care if I make a dollar. It's, it's all about, Hey, pay attention to this. I have the, maybe you bought my old books. I got this one coming up. So yeah, that's, that's the main, main thing. 
Well, we're headed to your table right when we get there. I'm so excited to look at your art in person. I've never seen it with my own eyes. So I'm excited to just nice. put them on those pages. Um, and, you know, Lisa and I, we're going to do our part trying to get people hyped for Faceless in the Family. We, we freaking loved the comic. We, we love do. Static. I'm so excited. And, and we want all our listeners to be reading your work. Um, and Thank we you. want to point them to where you are online. So we've got the link in the show notes for Zoop, but just in case people don't look at the show notes, uh, where can they find you, Matt? Zoop.gg is the actual website, not .com, Zoop.gg, and you'll, you could find it there. And then if you want, you know, follow me online, <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll be having updates of me, you know, working on the book and any future stuff. Um, Instagram at Matt Draws Comics, no spaces or anything. Twitter is just my name, Matt Lesniewski. And then I've got a YouTube channel, if anyone cares about that. And it, that's just my name too. So you can find my stuff there. And you've got a Patreon, which is yeah. a really killer artist Patreon. Uh, yes, especially if you love process. Yeah. If yeah. you love just unfiltered brilliance. It's all there. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, basically I'm on there. I'm doing uh, every commission or every panel that I draw. I try to get anywhere from five to 10 images of process of me doing the actual panel. So you can see from uh, pencils to lettering to the different phases of inking all the way to the finished panel, you'll be able to see with each, each panel of the comic, it's on there. It's a tremendous privilege to be, to like have that kind of insight into your creative process. And I think anybody who's any kind of artist, not just like visual, visual artist, but writer, like just any kind of artist would be inspired by what you're doing. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just accept you. it, okay. just accept it, take the love, Thanks. it's for you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're going to have to get ready because uh, we're going to come find you at New York and uh, we're going to fangirl and fan. We're going to give you compliments to your face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got to, I got to prepare for this. I, you do. That. thank I, you so much. I appreciate much. both of you for all the kind words and having me on again. It means the world. Like I, I, I spent all this time doing this stuff and then it's like, does anyone, does anyone care? Or I, I don't know. So to hear this, it, it means a lot. I appreciate it. Well, anytime you need words of affirmation, Matt, uh, just tweet at us and we'll give them to you. All right. I'll, I'll keep it in mind. So on that note, we'll see you in New York. Take care. I'll see you there. I love how this conversation ends, Lisa, with you practically shaking Matt by the shoulders through the Zoom, saying like, no, you are amazing. For some reason, like I identify with Matt so much sure. because I too sometimes suffer from like a lack of confidence. So when someone comes at you with genuine curiosity about who you are and what you do, you come from a place of like defensiveness. Like, why would you possibly want to know? And I wanted to make it clear, it's because I'm a genuine fan. <laughs> I think the way that I interpret Matt's response to our effusive praise is the same way that I respond to people when they come up to us at conventions or they tweet at us and tell us how much they love the show. 
when we first started doing the podcast, I almost wanted to stop those conversations immediately. Like I didn't want to take any praise at all. And like, Oh, people are listening. Gross. No, thank you. But over time, as I've become a little more used to not totally used to, because we could still use more compliments. (laughs) uh, the, The more I've gotten used to people saying nice things about what we do on comic book couples counseling, the better I've gotten at accepting those compliments. But sometimes it really is hard to accept compliments, especially when the people giving those compliments are coming in so hot like Mm. we were with Matt and his work. Yeah, I think also um, it goes back to what we were talking about in um, The Artist Alley, where like sometimes when you make something... You just, um, you think about the conversation between you and that thing. And Uh I think that that's kind of how we were doing the podcast in the beginning. Sure. Where it, like, yes, we were putting it out for everyone to hear, but it was also kind of like our little, like, private diary moment almost. Yeah, totally. We we would record it with complete disregard uh, of the idea that anybody would listen. And at the beginning, no one was listening. (laughs) Exactly, which was perfect. No. (laughs) But then... Over time, we've embraced the idea that what we really want to do is build like a community. And we have to realize that when you put something out in the world, there is this back and forth about it. And I think that um, Matt will find with Faceless and the family, people are going to, like I did in this this, uh, interview, people are going to want to come up to him and go like, I identify with this character because of this reason that is very personal and would be in other contexts kind of, kind of private. I have this sense of pride over Faceless and the Family and Matt Lesniewski, which I should not. <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm, I consider myself one of the early Matt Lesniewski fans. We're total hipsters yeah. for Matt Lesniewski. <laughs> we were there at the freak, everyone. The freak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so when we went and saw Matt at New York Comic Con and we went to his table on that first day to say hello, he was feeling, I think, a lot like how he was feeling in this conversation, this sense of unease. He's he's about to unleash this crowdfunding campaign. I can't even really process the amount of anxiety that must cause mm-hmm. in someone. Uh, but you could see that he was nervous about starting off the con and we chatted with him. We got to put our eyes on the original pages. I felt so spoiled flipping through his notebook, his portfolio on his table, because it's like literally the pages of Faceless in the Family, issue one, in order. The splash page of the hand planet, which he's doing as a print on Zoop, uh, like it is, It. I mean, it is, um, it's like looking at the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like you drive across the country, you go to the Grand Canyon, you've seen postcards before, you know it's going to be beautiful, but then suddenly you're looking at it and you're like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> like, like right. there, There's this awesomeness that you can't really put into words. And that's what that splash page did for me. And it also caused us to do something we've never done before uh, because we really can't generally afford it. But thankfully Matt's prices were pretty um, reasonable. We purchased a commission from Matt. And when we purchased the commission, Matt was in the middle of doing another commission and he, he he wasn't sure he was going to have a ton of time to do it because he was finding doing commissions on the con floor, very challenging with all the noise and the interruptions and I, we were like, well, we, we would, he, he goes, 
what character would it be? And, and now it's like a test, right? Right. He, maybe he won't do a commission if we're like, we want to spawn. Right. You know, we want a Hellboy. But what we really wanted was a Matt Lesniewski character. And so we left it up to him. We said, you know, we would love a freak, uh, maybe Emmett Stone or a faceless. And he said, well, I guess I could do that. And he ended up doing an Emmett Stone for us. And it's our first commission that we've ever done at a Comic-Con. And wow, it's truly beautiful. We are so proud to own this piece. And he was genuinely, at the end of the convention, excited to yes. give it to us. And I like the fact that he was like, okay, you've seen this character. Um, let me try something a little different with the shading. Yes. And he was so excited to show, like, like, huh, I approached this a little differently. And it turned out to be really just a really special piece of art. You can go to our CBCC podcast Twitter or Instagram and you can see the commission of Emmett. And he's doing kind of like this single layer of lighting. Mm -hmm. it, it, it has a film noir quality. Emmett hasn't quite looked like this before. And that did make the piece feel even more special. And like you said, you know, by the end of the con, having now had a bunch of people like us come up to his table, browse through that portfolio and see the incredible work and scan that QR code on his desk to uh, prepare themselves to crowdfund Zo uh, the Zoop campaign, uh, he was feeling a lot of love. Right. I think that it was like, the literal like manifestation of yeah. having your love tank filled. Yes. Like so many people came up to him, um, like perhaps already as fans, perhaps checking out his stuff for the first time. And, and nobody who would walk up to that table would not be in complete awe of right. what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's neat to have had this conversation where he's a week away from launching the Zoop campaign and then go to see him at Comic-Con and he's a few days from doing the Zoop campaign. And then now here we are days after the Zoop campaign has launched, which you can still contribute to, by the way. You're going to want he's to. He's met the goal, but now he is meeting stretch goals. The comic is becoming thicker and thicker with bonus material. And uh, I, I, I like hit the link in our show notes. Go browse Matt Lesniewski's artwork. Read up on Faceless in the Family and support a cartoonist who does it all. Writing, penciling, inking, lettering. This is a true gem of a comic. We don't get too many of these in the industry these days. So I think you will really want to support Faceless in the Family. And we're hoping that once Faceless in the Family has reached its first, like, benchmark plot-wise, yes. to have Matt back <laughs> and to talk about it again. Because I do like getting into theme. And uh, you know what? I'm going to get to the bottom of it whether he wants to or not. We've had so many conversations with filmmakers after... Filmmakers? Uh, sorry, with cartoonists <laughs> and filmmakers. But with cartoonists where they've only given us one issue... And Lisa just cannot stand only having a tease of a story. Because it's like, how do you have a discussion about like 
an eighth of a thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we've we've told Matt Lesniewski, we want you back on mm-hmm. to talk Faceless to the Family. We've gone to Christian Ward. We like Christian Ward. Now that Bloodstained Teeth is almost complete, we need you back on. We've gone back to Chris Condon. We're like, hey, you know what? I have a lot of stuff to say about that, that Texas, Texas blood. blood. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Daniel Warren Johnson, we're like, we don't even want to talk to you about do a powerbomb until it's done. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and so we love these, like, first issue conversations but the the ones we really want to dig into are the ones where we've seen the whole picture. Which is the least helpful for these creators because <laughs> they're like, well, the book is already like, why would I promote? Like, they're always into promoting the, yeah, the, the next right, thing. And we're right. like, no, we want to talk about the last yeah, thing, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're going to make that happen, too. Uh, but I hope you've all enjoyed our tour through our first New York Comic-Con. Hopefully next time you'll join us. Yeah, and we're definitely doing another New York Comic-Con in some fashion. Uh, You know, doing Fantastic Fest and going right into New York Comic-Con maybe was not the best and catching COVID in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Work-wise, it was a lean month. October was a lean month. And we're going into Baltimore Comic-Con in a week. Totally broke. Totally broke. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm I'm actually a little nervous about Baltimore Comic-Con. Baltimore Comic-Con might be more of just like a commune with the people and less like (laughs) drop a ton of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love Baltimore Comic-Con. That's one of my favorite Comic-Cons for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but, yes, uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, CBCC Podcast. We want to hear from you. If you did attend the New York Comic-Con, we definitely want to hear your stories. We definitely want to look at your cosplay photos. The cosplay at New York Comic-Con. Oh, my Whoa. goodness. It was so fun. Brad, what was your favorite cosplay of New York Comic-Con? Uh, there was so much that I loved, but I think my favorite was the Kill or Be Killed cosplay uh, based on the Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Because it's so specific. It's so specific, and it, you know he had created the demon character out of a cardboard piece of cardboard. That's how it works. And it was like floating above his head, haunting him wherever he went. And you could spot him across Artist Alley going to all the cool people. And you'd just be like, yeah, kill or be killed. Uh, Yeah, that's a great one because like the artistry level doesn't have to be like, Craft-wise, it's not, like, the most complicated thing ever, but in terms of just, like, executing what the comic looks like. Like, the most literal translation. And anyone who's a fan of that comic is going to love that guy forever. Mm, Yes. (laughs) My favorite, uh, because I'm I'm sure you're going to turn the tables back to me. I was. I was. (laughs) Was the Nope cosplay with the cloud. Yeah. Because it was, like, one of those where I passed it a couple of times without completely realizing what it was. Like, there was such a huge anime presence uh-huh. in New York Comic Con <laughs> that there, I'm just used to going like, that looks cool. I have no idea what it is. Um, but uh, I caught the flag tail sticking yeah. out of the bottom of the cloud and then the bloody legs and it all came together. Yeah. And I was like, and Nope was a movie that we actually saw. It was our Comic Con, our San Diego Comic Con movie. Yep. And like when we first watched it, we were we were exhausted and it was like a fever dream. And now I have revisited it a handful of times. And so like to see that kind of representation on the New York Comic Con floor was just so cool. And the way it was done was so clever. Like he just created it was almost like a jellyfish. Yes. Where like he was this big round cloud, but then 
like he would move underneath the cloud. It would look like it was breathing. So good. Again, go to our Instagram, Twitter feed, CBCC podcast. We have video of it. It is an astonishing cosplay. There is one cosplay that has done extremely well for us on Instagram. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the uh, Autobot uh, Optimus Prime. Almost forgot Prime's name. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry, Prime. Uh, and it, it, he starts out as a truck and then literally transforms. Mm -hmm. And so a transforming cosplay, pretty darn nifty. And the Instagram followers love that one. Now, the, in, the, the cosplay that's done the best on Twitter Ooh, yeah. is the Namor the Submariner cosplay based on the Wakanda Forever style of Namor. And it, you know, it's basically a naked dude on the con floor with a blow up shark. So who's not gonna like that? Yeah, lot, thousands of people are gonna like it, it turns out. People are so excited for Namor in the MCU and it's hard not to get like caught up in that enthusiasm. I'm just so stoked. Yeah, we're going to be seeing a lot of that specific Namor cosplay from buff people in the future. And I am, it's just like, uh, I gotta stay on this planet. <laughs> I wanna see more of that. Uh, on that note, I think we are going to end our show, Lisa. How do we get out of here? Do you want me to roll into the outro or are we going to talk about what's coming up on the show next episode? Oh, yeah. This podcast is not done. <laughs> we have more information for you. More episodes are in our future. Uh, yes. So hopefully you all listen to our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 movie discussion that we had with the turtle dork, Brian Young. We know you have because that episode has gotten a lot of love. Thanks, Ooh. Brian. Yeah. One of our most popular episodes of the year. So we are going to continue our conversation around the four brothers now diving into the comics themselves and our next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode will cover the first seven issues of the Eastman and Laird series we're going right back to the very beginning of the turtles I'm so excited to have a conversation with Lisa about those comics because I love those comics, and Lisa and I haven't talked too much about those comics, but I don't think they're ne they're necessarily her jam. They're not necessarily like peak Ninja Turtles, I hope, right. because they are very plotty plot plot. Right, and, and Eastman and Laird are still trying to figure out the relationship dynamics between the four brothers, but I think that's what makes the conversation around those issues so interesting, and I am excited to have that with you, Lisa. And there's still plenty of material there. Yes, yes. And then after that, we're going to go over to the Archie Ninja Turtles comics and then over to the IDW Ninja Turtles comics and then concluding our four, actually our five episode Ninja Turtles series with IDW's The Last Ronin, uh, which if you're a Patreon subscriber, you were there when Lisa and I read the first issue and had an immediate response to it. We loved The Last Ronin. It's such a heartbreaking comic. Maybe a sad place to end our Ninja Turtles conversation, but we don't mind getting sad. We are comic book couples counseling after all. We are engaging with the turtles to talk about sibling relationships in the hopes of making our relationships with my siblings, because Brad's an only child, a little <laughs> bit better. And we are not experts, so we need um, someone to guide us. And for the Ninja Turtles, our relationship expert will be Don Hubner, PhD, using her book, The Sibling Survival Guide, Surefire Ways to Solve Conflicts, Reduce Rivalry, and Have More Fun with Your Brothers and Sisters. 
Oh no, Brad, look at the time. Huh? Our spot hero is about to run out. And I <laughs> oh, no. think that if you don't get your car in time, they just set it on fire. We came very close to that happening in New York. So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google, and Apple Podcasts. I feel like one's missing. YouTube! If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. We really should do more with that YouTube page. It's yeah, pretty it's pathetic. Really, if you really want to bring us down a peg, you can look at our YouTube our YouTube follows. No Not thanks. that many. Nobody's no hitting that subscribe and dinging that bell. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically you can email the podcast cbcc podcast at gmail.com you can visit our website comicbookcouplescounseling.com or follow us on instagram and twitter at cbcc podcast you can give us the gift of five stars on apple podcasts and if you'd like to do an act of service why not write a review of the show while you're there we are fluent and receptive in all five love languages it really warms our hearts and helps the pod. I've been struggling this whole episode <laughs> with having, I still have some cold symptoms. Yeah, it's a little vocal fry. <laughs> uh, but uh, until next time, friends, when we are healthy and rejuvenated and sounding crisp and fresh, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You sound fine, Lisa. I don't know. I sound a little nasal and phlegmy. <laughs> <laughs>